My name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach. Uh, and if y'all didn't know, I wasn't here last week. Anybody catch that? No. no. Thanks. I wasn't here. <laughs> Starting off great. Uh, and uh, I heard Alan did an excellent job last week. Very grateful for Alan. He's actually serving in kids ministry right now. So he can't hear your claps, but I'll tell him that y'all love him. <laughs> um we're continuing back on to the what we call walking in the word and what that basically is that uh, if you've not been here with that with us during that before, uh, we encourage everyone to read the one year Bible during the year. And when we're not doing a series, I preach out of what you read this week, uh, which is crazy because what I'm going to talk about this weekend um, is out of first Samuel 30, which has a very uh, familiar uh, feel to it compared to what we've just come out of uh, doing our Mastermind series. So we're going to, um, I'm going to pray before we get started, and then we'll jump right in. Dearly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that we have air in our lungs right now. Uh, it is by your sovereign will that we exist and have life in this world right now, and we want to honor you in it. And so this morning, as your word speaks, as we look at the life of David and a situation that he was in, how he responded, Lord, I pray that we could find wisdom and discernment on how to respond like David uh, when we're faced with things that are overwhelming, when we're faced with things that seem out of our control and too far gone. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the truth that is in your word, Lord, that you would give us faith to understand that you are not a foreign entity that is away from us, but you are a God that came close and exists to live in and with us in this life. So, Lord, let us honor you uh, with the life that we live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to make fun of myself a little bit this morning. Uh, you may have heard this story. Uh, I don't always respond well to, like, things that go wrong. Some of you have seen that firsthand when I run around and scream. Uh, so this morning we're going to look at how David responded to a situation that was well out of his control, well overwhelming, uh, and how he responded versus how we respond at times. So... Uh, a few years ago, probably 10 years ago, all of our family was together for a Thanksgiving feast, and there was a lot of them there, so we actually met at our old church in their uh, little playroom. They had this three-story, like, jungle gym in the, like, kids' area of our church, and we were eating in there, and one of my nephews at the time uh, was playing on the jungle gym, and they... <laughs> They, since this incident, they fixed it, so this won't happen again. Uh, but there was like a little platform that was maybe a foot and a half off the ground, and above the platform, there was this bar that you could, as a child, I mean, it was amazing, you could jump up and grab it and swing. And they were doing that all afternoon. And um, he ran and jumped and grabbed the bar, and he swung so high that he, he lost it pulled him off the bar, and he literally, from probably six or seven feet off the ground, fell right on his head. And he went, like, limp. He was out. <laughs> and I'm the youth pastor at this church in control of a lot of people's children, and I should be able to handle scenarios like that. And, and literally, I'm... <laughs> I'm running around, and my wife, like, she still makes fun of me to this day. I'm like, 
someone! And it's just our family. It's not like there's a hidden EMS guy like underneath the curtain. I'm like, someone! And I keep running into the other rooms. And like literally, Jody's parents, Chris and Eileen, their first response is not like mine. They're not running around yelling for some mysterious person to come and rescue what's going on. They literally go over there, get on their knees, and start praying for Josh, which is what the youth pastor should have done instead of like, help! The problem is, if we don't prepare ourselves, when things like that happen, we'll act like that. And your wife for decades. It's got to be at least a decade ago. We'll still giggle. I mean, you should look at look at her. She is like giggling at the scenario because she can see it in her head. She's. Like, <laughs> I mean, I thought he was going to die. I mean, he was out. It was like his eyes rolled back in his head. I mean, he did have a uh, a brain a brain. They took him to the hospital. Had a brain bleed. Stayed overnight. I mean, it was pretty traumatic. But like, it was sad. Sad, sad. So what do you do when you face things that are out of your control? Things that you can no longer fix. Scenarios that no longer just with a decision, no longer with just this one little thing that you can fix. That it's outside of that. How do you handle it when it's overwhelming? When you don't necessarily go right to the grace, right to the mercy, right to the access that we have to the Holy Spirit, but we rely on our own physical ability, our own understanding, and you and me handle it poorly. There's lots of situations that we've been in that in the moment, because we weren't prepared, because in that moment we're only responding in the flesh, that we end up doing things that we regret later. Anyone else? Just me. I mean, just picture it. If you want to giggle later, just... I mean, it, literally, I was screaming like a girl. I mean, there's no way about it. I mean, my voice I think went back to, like, pre-puberty. <laughs> so, the, the thought here today and the tension is, is times are coming that will test our trust and reliance on the one that we call Lord and Savior. There will be opportunities for us to either communicate to ourselves and others that we have a trust and a resilience in who God is, that we we stand in that, or we're going to forget about that and in the moment live in this place that we're going to respond poorly, that we're not going to do what is needed. What I did in that moment had no purpose other than humor. Like, I, I wasn't helping Josh, I wasn't elevating his head, I wasn't checking his vitals, I wasn't doing any of that, I was just like, And we do that in life a lot, in a sense that things happen, we respond poorly, and it doesn't get to elevate the name of Jesus. It elevates how immature we are. It elevates how um, lack of faith that we have in who God is. And so today, we're going to look at um, the story of David. And if you're reading along in the one year Bible, you're in, um, well, we're in 2 Samuel now, but we were in 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, you see lots of things happening. So let me give you a little bit of backstory because it'll help make, uh, it'll help give you a little picture of where he's at right now. So at this point, God's people have decided they want a king. And God's prophets said, please don't do that. You don't need a king. God is your king. 
trust in the king that God has given you, which is himself. But they want to be like other people, so they ask and beg for a king, and that God gives them a king. And his name is Samuel, and I'm not Samuel, sorry. His name is Saul. Samuel's the one that was dealing with it. Um, his name is Saul, and he, at the beginning, was great, but he very quickly began trusting in his own ability, in his own understanding, period. And he made some very poor decisions. So very early on in his kingship, the prophet went to um, the family of Jesse and anointed a new king, which is a young man. If you remember the story of David, there was all these other brothers. The dad didn't even believe in his youngest enough to bring him into the mix. Literally, all the older brothers came. Nope, 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 nope. To the point of the prophet going, don't you have any other kids? And so the, the last, oh yeah, he's out there. I didn't even think about bringing him in. They anoint David as king, as a young man. So Saul's still king, but the anointing of the kingship has been put on David. And there's this weird story of him kind of working for Saul, playing, and I've had a conversation, I almost pointed at him, had a conversation about when Saul was tormented by these spirits that God sent to him, and, and David would come in and play um, his harp to kind of soothe him. And, and what, what did Saul do? Spears. He wanted to pin him to the wall. <laughs> and what kills me is that David allowed this like the guy eventually is going to hit you. Like in one session, there's twice that he threw a spear. I'm telling you, if you, if you guys throw a spear at me, I'm not going to hang around you. Like I, we're done. Our friendship is over. If, if, if I'm standing there and a spear comes by me and sticks in the wall and I see that you just throw it, unless you have a very good reason, like there was a fly, I just said, I, we're done. But what does David do? So twice he threw it, stuck in the wall, and actually he didn't like, he was just standing there. David's like, had his little spidey sense and he's like, boom, you know, like missed him. And then another occasion, David comes back to do the same thing and he does it again. Like, you don't know. We don't. No, like our friendship is done. And then there's this kind of weird relate, not weird relationship, but there's this relationship with Jonathan, the king's son, who like his he's made a covenant with David. He sees the potential and the and the really the anointing that is on David and he sides with him. And, and David has to at, at this point has to run off and hide because Saul wants him dead. And on two occasions, Saul has come into, and this is a whole other sermon just for another day, he's come into the pre- physical presence of David, unbeknownst to Saul, to go to the bathroom one time. To be, he, One time David went into the camp when all of his army was surrounding him and, and took uh, a piece of his garment on one and took a spear in the other and presented like, hey, Saul, I'm not trying to kill you. If I was trying to kill you, you would already be dead. Here's two opportunities that I've done that. But he didn't. And so at this point in the story, in Psalm, or not Psalm, Samuel 30, David with his band of kind of misfits are hiding in a foreign country. And David has, is helping. He's kind of a bodyguard of this foreign king. And, and leading up to right when we're getting to start, David and his band of misfits are following this other king into battle with Saul and his army. And so they, they march all the way there, which I think is about 50 miles away from where his home is. So they march all the way there. And right before the battle starts, the rest of the people that were with the king was like, nah, we are not having David 
because they remember the song. Saul has killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. They're like, no, we do not want that guy to turn on us in the middle of the battle. So the king sends David and his army away. And so where we find this is they take a 50, 60 mile force, not force, but a hike with all of their gear, with all of their stuff to go back home. And so this is where we pick up in verse one, chapter 30. It says, now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amiculites had made a raid against the uh, Negeb and against Ziklag, and they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Bad day. In verse 4, it says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept, until they had no more strength to weep. Can you imagine that amount of weeping? I mean, literally, that you weep so much that you cannot weep anymore because you are done. You have no more in you, in you to, to weep. And in verse 5, it says, David's two wives have been taken captive. Uh, Naomi of Jezreel and Abigail, the wife of Nabal of Carmel, uh, in verse 6, it says, And David was greatly distressed for the people, his misfits, the, the men that are following him, David's mighty men later to be, for the people spoke of stoning him. Not a pleasant event to be a part of. The people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his son's and daughters, they, they were ready to end his life. Bad day. I mean, imagine yourself, at this point, what are you going to do? Your, your men are exhausted. They just spent three days hiking with all of their gear, all of their bedding, all of their armament. Three days to come back and see, and you really don't know what, you know the people are gone, but you don't know what they did with them, how, you know, did they, they murder your children, I mean, are your, were your children burned to death? You don't know any of that. And your men are turning on you. And remember, this is the guy who was anointed with oil. Could you imagine what's possibly going through his brain? Because I think some of us feel that way. Like, we are a son or daughter of the king, and why is, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? He could be thinking to himself, you know, I didn't ask to be anointed as king. I, I didn't ask for the prophet to come and pour the oil on my head and say, you you know, in fear, because he kind of did it and ran, um, anoint me as king in this kind of weird scenario where I'm not really king, and now the people that you've surrounded me with, the people that have stayed with me, they want to stone me. And I was reading this this week, and, and this, the end of verse 6 is, is really what I'm going to talk about, and we're going to talk a little bit more on. But what do you do when you hit the end of your rope? What do you do when you get to the place that you cannot anymore tolerate what's going on? You, you just can't deal with it. You're, you're going to respond in one way or the other. And David could have done a lot of different things in this moment. For one, David could have had all the people who were threatening to stone him killed. 
I mean, he's king. He'd be like, no, nah, no, nah, you going to talk about me? Done. He could have blamed it on someone else. He could have blamed this on we left people to watch them. They were in this town. He could have blamed it. He could have been angry at God, blaming God for this. Because I'm your chosen anointed one. I, I've, done this, I've done this for you. Why haven't you protected? And what you don't see is him do any of that. But at the rest of verse 6, it says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And that verse, and what we're going to talk about today, what, what does this look like? What does it look like to, to let our first response to be connecting to God so that we're going to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, His God, which is important. It wasn't like a, a, this for, it wasn't this foreign entity. It wasn't like most of the people in the area. They had gods, but they weren't connected to them like David was. And so he strengthened himself in the Lord. He didn't do all the things that he could have done. He could have ignored these. And this is probably written out of this, but Psalms 42, 5, you can see all these. And I love, for, for those that are concerned about how you are to respond during these situations. And is it okay to just kind of be honest with God? I love, I mean, read the Psalms. Psalms 42, 5, and this is David kind of talking about this. This is, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. He internally, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation, I shall again praise him. My salvation. He's sometimes we have to literally talk to ourselves. We have to literally tell ourselves, why are we cast down? Why am I feeling this way that I'm feeling inside all my soul? He's talking to his soul within him, which I know it sounds a little weird. Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he tells himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. My salvation. Uh, Matthew Henry, which is a, a commentary guy, he wrote this. He says, to encourage themselves in God as their Lord and their God, assuring themselves that he can and will bring light out of darkness, peace out of trouble, good out of evil, to all that love him and are called according to his purpose. Taken out of Romans eight twenty eight. Another commentary I found, it says, took, uh, <clears throat> took look, look at it this way, it says, took all patiently. And exercised faith on his God. He encouraged himself in the power and providence of God. In the promises of God, which we've talked about over the last four weeks. Like, how do we change what we're doing? Because out of our strongest thought, we will move in that direction. So if we allow our strongest thoughts to dominate us, uh, that aren't what God's telling us who we are, and we begin to believe those things, we've got to allow those things to be what we are. He encouraged himself in the power and providence of God, in the promises of God, and his faithfulness in keeping them, in a view of his covenant relationship with God. He's remembering that. Remembering the remembrance of the grace, mercy, and goodness of God, and his former experience of it, hoping and believing that God will appear for him in some way or another and work salvation for him. 
So David could have literally lost everything in this moment. I mean, his people could have murdered him right there, could have stoned him to death in the end of the story for us. We wouldn't have any, we wouldn't have any of this because the story would have ended before David became David. And so what did David do? And now we know from his early experiences that he had spent time a lot alone, worshiping and connecting with God the Father out in the fields as he was a shepherd. He had had experience in doing that. Let me just tell you, like we're going to do what what we normally do. We're, we're going to respond in the way that we normally respond unless we begin to change that. And, and David's response here, I believe, was years of trusting and believing in God. And he wouldn't. He trusted God so much that even though he was anointed king, he would never take the life of God's anointed one, which was Saul. Even when it was right there and his people around him were like, finish this so we can become who we're supposed to become. And if you were reading this week, you you know what happened to the young man who came to announce that Saul was dead. He got killed because he finished Saul. He came and thought he was telling David good news. And he got his young man and said, hey guys, take him out back. David was so interested in the providence of God, who God was and what God was doing, that he wouldn't do anything to rob God of who he was and what he was doing in his time. He patiently waited for the promises of God. And so here's what happened. After this moment that he's had where he strengthened himself in the Lord, so he immediately, instead of responding poorly, instead of you know getting angry and blaming himself for someone else, he immediately went and strengthened himself, reminded himself who he is in Christ. And the next thing that he did, which is a little odd to us, anybody got their, their ephod on lately? Okay. If you're like, I don't know what he just said, I'll explain it. Okay. In verse 7, David said to Abinathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech. There's a lot of names in here, but I'm just going with it, okay? Um, Bring me the ephod. The ephod is this priestly garment. It was a chest plate that literally had these stones on it that represented the tribes and all these other things. And, And the priest would put it on as they're ministering to the Lord. And so David's saying, go get this priestly garment and bring it to me. And so... Abinathar brought the ephod to David, and, and David put on this. This was the way they connected and tried to hear the voice of God. And so he, he put on, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, a little bit of stretch, but like we're going to make this into our world because none of you guys are going to go home and be like, yep, I've been waiting for this moment. Pastor has finally told me I could put on the priestly garments. <clears throat> So it was this garment, and here, here's what's crazy in this, and, and this is a speculation, so take it for what it will be. Um, everything was stolen that was, had any value, and the, this ephod had precious stones on it. It would have been taken or it would have been burnt in the fire. So most likely, David had the priest with him and the ephod with him while he was going out to battle. So that way he could have a connection to put on and listen to God. 
Now, I would speculate that David should have used this priest and priestly garment prior to this, because he wouldn't have been away from his family if he would have actually inquired of the Lord of where whether he should be going into battle against God's people. Now, that's speculation. Me and a couple other people, actually other people had it, and I'm like, that sounds a good speculation. And so David puts on the ephod, he brings the priest in, and in verse 8 it says, And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this band? I mean, can you imagine even asking that question? Like your wife and children just got taken, and all of your friends' wives and children just got taken why wouldn't your first response be, heck yes, we're going to get them back or die trying? I mean, I would. I mean, is there anybody in here that's like if someone stole your wife and children, you wouldn't do anything in your ability to go rescue them? I mean, every little movie that you've ever seen, you're like, yes, but the brave heart this. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But but he asked, he, he's not even making the, saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. He asked to the Lord, he puts on, the priest is there, puts on the priestly garments, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? This is the question that I'm, he's asking. And he answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and shall surely rescue. So David set out with the 600 men who were with them and they came to the brook of Bezor. Where those who were left behind stayed, which I'll explain in just a second. Verse 10, it says, But David pursued he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook of Bezor. Okay, so he had 600 men. These 600 men had just spent 50 or 60 miles of rucking underweight to come to the village, find out everybody's rescued. They David has a conversation with the Lord, says, go take them. And on the way to take back their possessions, a third of his army decides we can't go anymore. We're going to chill on the other side of this brook. Could you imagine? I mean, it's still like, like it me, I'm thinking, okay, ask. And God said, go. And on the way to going... Being obedient to what God said, a third of my army, a third, decides I can't go any further. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, like, I think about what's going on inside of his head. Is he going, oh my gosh, does God finally hate me and he wants to destroy me because he's weakened my army and we're going to go down in a blaze of glory? Well, let me finish this story for you. They go, they wipe them out. They lose no one. They get back all of their possessions and the, the sheeps and the livestock of the, the raiders. That, so they, they, they came back with more than, were, than was, was taken from them here. And so I'm reading this story. This is what, like, I'm reading this this week, and I'm just like, how do we get to this place? And so there's, there's three things which we just read over um, that I believe that if we'll become um, students of practicing this in the little, it says in the Bible, he that's faithful in the little, little will be given much. We have to be faithful in practicing these things in the little 
So that when the big, I believe this is what David had been doing his entire life, he'd been faithful in the little so that when this came, he was willing to go straight to God, not trusting on his own skill and ability. I mean, could you imagine have been songs have been written about you? David's killed his ten. Could you imagine like the cocky, arrogant side of most men will be like, yes, I've killed my 10,000. Let's go take them because I'm with you guys. And that wasn't David. I I believe David practiced those things with the little so that when these things happen. So you can't just go, okay, he's told me these three things. And the next time this traumatic thing happens in my life, this big decision, I'm going to remember these three points that he's made on uh, May 26. And of course, I'm going to execute them perfectly four years and two months from now. No. It won't. That won't work. What will work is you decide that I'm going to start to practice these things in my life. Uh, Romans 8, 35 through 39. And this is for us to embrace who God is. And I, I know I talk about, I love Romans 8 um, and love this section of it. We'll talk about that later. But verse 35. This is Paul writing this. In in verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists a whole bunch of awful things. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Yeah, that's an encouraged one. Tattoo that one on you. We're just verse 36. Sheep to the slaughter. But 30, 35 and 36 are great when you have 37 and 38. 37 says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We prevail completely is another way that more than conquers. In verse 38 says, For I am sure that neither life or death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Imagine letting that truth because we talked about that over the last couple of weeks, letting a truth dominate the lie, letting this truth that there's nothing, there's nothing that is going to overcome us. All those long lists, and we can replace those long lists of things with others, because nothing, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. If that is what we believe and what we trust, then it is our first response to trust that. So here, here's my three things. We've got to always start with God. Your situation will not be resolved for your benefit if you trust in you first. Because look at your, and when I say your, I include me, look at your track record. And remember, don't raise your hand. We all have lots and lots of failed, like our track record of when when we should have done A, we do B. We have plenty of that, trusting our own wisdom and our own gut. 
I mean, how many big purchases have we made that we regret later because we feel like, man, God loves me. Look what he's just done in six months or a year later or when you take financial peace. You're like, poor decision. I mean, because we trust in ourselves and it's the same thing over and over again. We have to start with God. We cannot start with us. If you hit the wall and there's something you cannot do, you've hit the wall because you've trusted in yourself. You have to get in a place that you're constantly going, what does God say? And, and literally getting still, getting by yourself, and just inviting God into what's going on. Instead of like, ah. So every time you want to run around, just think about me running around and realize it's foolish. Because running around doesn't fix anything. And be like Chris and Eileen and just take a knee. And just say, God. I mean, they literally, like, they were so, like, I'm running around going crazy. And even in that running around, I'm going, why can't I be more like them? (laughs) I should have done that, but I'm I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. Like, I, I cannot pull the nervous energy, you know, everything else is gone. I cannot go there. But we have to start with God. If we're going to overcome what's going on, we have to start there. And I'm going to, I'm going to rehome the ephod. The ephod was the, the connection, the way that they heard the voice of God. They did not have this. And I, I'm going to replace the ephod with put on the word. Because not only do you got to start with God, you got to acknowledge that if you don't show up, I can't overcome. If you don't show up, I can't be more than a conqueror. If you don't show up, I cannot do what you need me to do in this scenario. But if I'm starting with you, and then I'm going to put on the Word. Because then, once I start with God, then I go to His Word. And what is He saying about this situation? There's so much wisdom in here we have to put on, because this is our clearest, clearest, clearest way that we can hear the voice of God. And the last thing, and I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. My last thing, so you've got to start with God. You've got to put on the Word. Because if you want to hear His voice, you've got to be in His Word. You've got to be, this is the trustworthy place that we can go to and know for sure this is what He's saying. And the last thing that I encourage you to do is, and we see this in David. So David immediately strengthened himself in the Lord. He went to God. He immediately put on the one thing that would connect him to God the Father, so he could hear his voice. And what else did he do? He brought the priest. You have to surround yourself with God's people. Look, I, my, when I was going last week, I preached out of um, uh, Genesis 13 and 14 about uh, Abraham and how Abraham allowed Lot to make decisions for him that he shouldn't have. And that how people either hinder or help us moving towards the promises of God. You've got to surround yourself with the right group of people that will help you connect to that one thing. When we want to, like, when we want to run the opposite direction, we need those people in our life that we can get face to face with and say, here's what's going on. I love that. I love that I have men in my life that I can go here. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's going on inside of me. Give me wisdom. 
You've got to start with God. You've got to put on the Word. And you've got to have those people around you. Because if you don't have those people around you, 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 you may have the other two, but you need the multitude of count. You need those people in your life. And these aren't just any people. Like, like this needs to be vetted out. Look how they're responding. Find people that are responding the right way and go, how do I, how do I get to where, like Chris and Eileen. Like I'm telling you, there, there's no, and they're not here, so I'm not even getting extra points talking about my father-in-law like this. There's no greater man, in my opinion, that I've ever been around that's consistently proven himself not to be perfect, but to love God and to start with God. Like every time I'm, I come to him, like I'm the nervous energy, the guy that's like, Ugh, and he's always like. Like you find those people and you go, how, how can I, can I learn from you? Can I, can I get around you so that you can help me get there? Because it is coming. Like these scenarios are going to come to your life. These things that you don't know what to do. And you're either going to train yourself now. And and this is my recommendation. This is where we're going to close. My recommendation is start now. Like when you're presented with small things. And really, honestly, we should live our life. Desiring to live in the will of God. And we cannot be in the will of God if we're not connected to God. We can go, yeah, yeah, God's will without connecting. So getting in this place that we want to start, like waking up in the morning and go, God, I need you. Like this is a thing that I've started over the past probably month where, you know, it's hard for me to process a lot that goes on in the morning, like early. I'm not that guy that's going to like pop out of bed at 430 and like open the word and like get anything out of what I'm reading because it's like, I've got, I've got to wake up a little bit. Same with prayer. Prayer, like if I want to go back to sleep, pray right when I wake up. I'm just saying, unless I'm walking around, let's be honest, people, like there, you don't have the pious guy that can get on his knees. I'll fall asleep on my knee. It doesn't matter unless I'm moving. But like, praise the Lord. And you just sit down on that couch. You just settle. I'm going to, I'm going to just rest in your arms, God. I mean, out. So like literally I have to, I have to let a little time go. And so you usually about, Seven thirty, eight o'clock. I'm 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 awake enough that that I just say, Hey God, I want you to be a part of my day. Like let me let me see what you're doing around me so that I can be prepared, that I I can see through your eyes and just invite him into that. And then getting into his word and surrounding yourself with those people. If you don't have those people yet, like a great place to find those people is in community group. Getting connected with our, our women's war group and our men's uh, man-to-man group. And there, there's this new thing that we're doing in our men's group, trying to find, connect you with mentors, other men that you can go, man, I, I want more. Like, I, I need some help. So here, here's where I want to close. We're going to worship. And I don't know, maybe you're in the middle of one of these situations. Maybe you're in the middle of something going down that you don't know what to do next. And so we're, we're going to go into worship so that you can have an opportunity to just go, God, I need you. Start there. Like literally just say, God, I want you to lead me into the life that you called me to. Because he told us that he came so that we would have life and life abundantly. Ask for it. 
And so here's the key. Like we, we cannot get any of this without him. Being submitted and surrendered to Jesus as king means that we've given my life, my future to him, trusting that he will lead me to the life that he's promised me. We cannot have the life abundantly without giving him our life to begin with. We can't go, why is God not doing this when we're not willing to surrender? So as we go into worship, just ask, hey, God, what do you want to do with me today? What, what are you asking me to do? And that may be you saying, I need to surrender because I'm not. I'm living the life that I want to live right now. I don't think about God at all. But if you want the life that God's called you to, you have to be surrendered. Let's pray. Dearly Father, um, you know our hearts better than we do. You know what we need better than we do. And so, Lord, as we're here thinking, how do we navigate this life that you've called us to? Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom on how to do that. But, Lord, that starts, or your word says, that you would send us the helper. That you would send us the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, if we are your children, we have your Holy Spirit. If we're not your children, you say, ask, and that you'll give. So this morning, we want to acknowledge that without you, we would be lost, we'd be separated Because we have no means or method, no way to enter into the presence of God without the sacrifice of your Son. So today, whether for the first time or for a continuation, we want to acknowledge that your Son did what we could not do. That he lived the life that we were required to live but could not. That he willingly went to the cross and died for us. And on the third day rose from the dead proving that he had power over life and death. And proving that everything that he said about him was true. So we trust in your son Jesus to be our lifeline to God the Father. So as we surrender, as you open our hearts today, Lord, I pray that we would learn this, the hard work of starting with you in our decisions. Continually putting on the truth that is your word and surrounding ourselves with people that will lead us to you. So Lord, as we worship, I pray that you would be honored. And I pray that you would be even more honored with our willingness to surrender more and more of our life to you. For your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.